Buenos dias, mi gente. It is July 10th, 2020, and welcome back to another episode of Café con Lecha Time with your hosts, Jacqueline Alvarado y... Jacob Ibarra. Hey, everyone. We are back. We're sorry we took a week off, but we have returned with so much to talk about. All right. Let's talk about it, Wes. We begin today with the biggest story of the last couple of weeks, the Vanessa Guillen case. So to put, it into, to put a little context to it, Vanessa Guillen was a 20-year-old soldier. She was based in Fort Hood, which is in Texas, and she had been missing since April 22nd. And recently, just this past month, she had been found near the Leon River, which is 26 miles from her base. So this past week, the suspect had actually made, was arrested and was, appeared in court on Monday. The suspect that appeared in court was Cecily Aguilar. She was the girlfriend of the other suspect, but unfortunately will not be making it to court, Aaron Robinson. The reason Aaron Robinson will not be making an, any appearance in court is because Aaron Robinson committed suicide after being confronted by the police about their about their investigation. So, but as for Aguilar, she could be facing uh, twenty years and a two hundred fifty thousand dollar fine for being um, an accomplice to the murder of Vanessa Guillen. The reason, but the reason that uh, this this case was made a lot of progress actually was because she cooperated with the FBI in this investigation of him. And as a result of this case, uh, the Guillen family is calling for con a congression congressional investigation and a bill to be passed for that, uh, that addresses sexual assault for both men and women in the military. So a lot, a lot has happened in the last couple of weeks regarding in regards of Vanessa Guillen. Uh, and also the Latinx community has come out to protest for her, for justice for her. Jackie, uh, so I know we've, you've seen the protests, you've seen a, you know, a, lot of, a lot of videos and a lot of outrage. So, you know, what are some of the good things that you've seen that have come out of these protests from the Latinx community? So the good things that I've seen basically has been the media attention that Vanessa Guillen has, her, her case has been able to unfold. Definitely for the Latinx community, it's something that hits home, especially within our hearts, because this is someone, our hermana, from an, as this is our hermana that got sexually abused, sexually assaulted, and this is an injustice that impacts many women in the military. And for the Latinx community, it's good to see that we are taking stance on this issue, especially because, like I said, it hits, it hits one of us, per personally, as a, as a Latinx community. As, you know what I mean? So it's been interesting to see that people are really standing their voices and really, and allies especially, really trying to advocate for Vanessa, for Vanessa Guillen because this issue, like I said, it's been an issue that has been going on for years within the military, women and men as well, not being, not getting the justice that they, that, that, that they deserve as for being sexually assaulted and sexually abused in the military. Um, what an, an interesting thing as well has been that the Latinx community really showing anti-blackness as well, because we've seen that the Latinx community is really supporting Vanessa Guillen. And it shows that 
many are still continuing to focus on issues that impact us as a Latinx community and continue to kind of use that as a platform to not really focus on black issues, if that makes sense. Like it's, it definitely shows for like a lot. I've seen like from a lot of people that their anti-blackness is showing a lot. And yes, we can, we must, we must advocate for the issues that impact our community as well, but we can't be like, it's sort of like a competition, like in media, like I've sort of seen like this kind of like competition between like, like especially like with, 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 the, with the Latinx community, kind of like being the competition of who gets more, who, whose voice stands out more for an issue, if that makes sense. Like, it shouldn't be a competition between whose voice it matters the most, if that makes sense, like on issue-wise, like it should be balanced. Like these are systemic issues that impact everyone. You know what I mean? Like it's like seeing how the last couple like months, how especially like just the continuation like of seeing people how they react to certain issues it's like the latinx community really needs to understand that our allies as well are fighting for this issue therefore we owe to them to be advocating for police against police brutality and injustices that impact the black community too so definitely it's been interesting to see that i've been like in media seeing that competition because now that Vanessa, like when Vanessa Yan's case um, was in the news, everyone was retweeting, like sort of making it a trend and forgetting about George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and other victims of who have been impacted by police brutality. So that's been to me an interesting um, aspect of how these last couple weeks have unfolded with the Vanessa Yan case, especially within the Latinx community. And it's important for Latinx community to really recognize that we can continue just advocating for our issues that impact us individually. Because, I mean, sexual assault impacts everyone, especially minority communities, especially, especially within the military. Because the military, as you've seen, it's a, it's a system that continues to systemically oppress minorities, especially women. So you said that you've seen the good thing that the Latinx community coming mm-hmm. out to really be behind her. You also pointed yes. out that it so and you've also pointed out that you know it's almost like a competition that we mm-hmm. that we want to be the trend now. So. Yeah, and it's not. This is these are issues that are not a trend. Like it should not be treated as a trend because it's something that continues to be to continues to be an issue. It's something that has existed for years. And it's and it's a good thing that it's now gaining media attention to for people to really recognize and hold the military accountable. And it's it's sad to really think that that it took us till now. Like it takes a special case to really recognize to re- recognize the issue. And it's sad that we've gone to this point where, when it comes to a certain certain case that like gets media attention, we start to recognize that. And this has been going on for years. So yes, and it's also it, this case is also was it's a little different as well. Not only because you know it's a different minority community, but that we found we found out that the military really turned like a blind eye. Mm-hmm. Her her own base, you know, the commanding officers turned a blind eye to this case since it, since she went missing. Mm-hmm. So it was they were if her own base was not giving her this much attention. That's a, a huge factor of why it wasn't getting much attention 
until recently, until these last few weeks. Yeah, and it continues to be a, an issue within many bases too, because we are not sure about the stories that have happened as well. Vanessa Guillen's community, especially within, has been able to really advocate for her, and there are many people that we don't know about have been who have not been able to seek that justice or have that opportunity to really speak out. And definitely on social media, we have a lot of women within the military have been using the hashtag I am Vanessa Guillen. I'm not sure if people have seen that, but it was a thing that's been going on. Like it's been a, it's been a hashtag going on for the past couple of weeks. And women have been able with this with this with this case specifically been able to really voice out their their traumatizing experiences within their own bases as well. So it's been so this definitely this case has been eye-opening case and perspective that people have been able to really speak out about the injustices they they experience in the military and it's important that we recognize that uh, even though it's very long overdue but it's a step to the right direction speaking of a step in the right direction so what more as a as a community the latinx community what more can be done and should be done in regards for like to her for for to seek justice for Vanessa. To definitely continue advocating those voices. I mean, our voices do matter and our protests that have been happening have been, have been able to create an impact and put that pressure against the military to really recognize and not continue to put a blind eye towards things, especially with, within women, especially minority women. I mean, the fact that there was a woman involved in this case in general just and just kind of proves that the the oppression that's within the military, especially towards minority women, it's that it's important to protect women in the military and men as well, because men have been victims of sexual assault too. So definitely, it's something. It's a it's a huge issue of sexual assault and sexual harassment in the military, and that needs to be addressed. So definitely, for the Latinx community, recognizing that this issue has impacted our community right now, but it's impacting all minorities in the military so definitely continue to advocate for Vanessa Guillen but recognizing that this is not just an issue that impacts us it impacts everyone you know that definitely recognizing that recognizing that and understanding that our allies are there with us and they will fight along with us and that it's our job to really as well when issues impact other other allies to really be there for them as well and it's definitely um, for the Latinx community, definitely, like I said, um, again, advocating through contacting representatives, your local representatives, contacting the information, the senators and representatives, especially within Texas, sending emails, signing petitions to really, to really pressure the congressional, a congressional case because this is something that needs to be, needs to be addressed on the federal level. So when I'm, especially within California, a lot of Congress representatives are Latinos. Like we have the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. Pressure your, the representatives on the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. Because this is an issue that has impacted our community right now. And it's important that the Hispanic Caucus especially addresses it. So definitely look, do your research. Call the representatives. Look at the uh, rep representatives on all aspects in your local community, local district, because this is important. This is important. Like I said, this is an important thing to really speak out your voice. And like I said, con congressional representatives need to really 
open a congressional case and lobby to really pass legislation because this is this is an issue that's long overdue and with the legislation involved definitely be a step towards the right direction i mean the house the house was able to pass a couple weeks ago the george floyd um act against police brutality act and that's a step to the right direction so something a legislation like that needs to be passed so we can have so we can have justice for Vanessa Guillen and other victims who have witnessed this traumatizing experience. Our hearts will go out to Vanessa Guillen's family because they they des- they need a lot of support and to know that we that we have their backs and we'll continue the fight for them. Yeah, it's our job. Our the, Vanessa Guillen's family has been continuing fighting and it's our job to really amplify their voices as well because know them that they're not alone in this because this is something that breaks your heart and it's frustrating because it's, it's the system that continues to systemically oppress this system the system has failed Vanessa Guillen has failed George Floyd and other victims who continue to experience systemic racism and systemic oppression so we must fight against the system with our voices Again, uh, again to the Guillen family, our hearts go out to you, and may you ho- hopefully you can somehow somehow find a a healthy grieving process and through all this. Yeah, but, our our hearts are definitely with them, and all of her family and friends, everyone who has been closely um, impacted by this. Now, moving on to the next topic of of the news, we ask. Jackie, again, the Supreme Court may, making oh, more head- boy. They're making making more headlines. You know, first it was in regards to to the Dreamers, then you know to the LGBT plus community, and now this and week it's they're, the, the now we're, they're talking they're talking about women. Yeah, and, and now we're Great. now we're here, women. Now, so Wednesday, this past Wednesday, the Supreme Court ruled that employers can have the right to choose not to cover birth control or any kind of kinds of contraceptives for um, health insurance. I am rolling my eyes right now, just so people would know. <laughs> so they, <laughs> they can choose to, they can choose to not cover birth control with their, with their company based in health insurance plans under religious and moral objections. It was ruled and it was ruled seven agreed with seven judges agreed to oppose and so originally it was really those religious organizations and, you know, that were either not, they were that either, they were either not affiliated with churches or, or just churches. They mm-hmm. were they originally exempt from providing any temp, types of coverage for contraceptives. Mm-hmm. But now under this administration that that has changed. So instead of it just being a, a separation of church and state, now it's both the church and the state or just church and corporate, they can choose whether or not. Capitalism. They can choose. They, so now both church and corporate can choose whether or not to cover um, to cover the, the uh, health insurance plan and contraceptives for women. And as of now, it, it's probably estimated that o- over 100,000 women now are not, do not get their birth control covered by their health insurance plan that is based from their employers. Um, Jackie, how does, how does, in your opinion, how does this hurt the, the civil rights of women? 
this this is ridiculous. Like this has been an ongoing debate about birth control for many years. As for me, especially as a woman, it's definitely disgusting that the fact that they don't want to that that they want to cover this because this is basically simple healthcare. It's basic healthcare. Birth control, it's ridiculous to see how people have been stigmatizing birth control and have society has like manipulated this mindset that birth control is only for contraception use. Yes, it is a f- one form of contraception, but the benefits of birth control goes beyond that. Many women use it for their menstrual cycle because a lot of women feel pain when they go through it. They have heavy blood flows, have like like so many symptoms that they weren't they aren't they aren't able to operate in day to day life like their daily life. It's birth control has many other health benefits for women, and it's basically like I said, it's a it's medicine that for many women they need to take it in order to really complete daily tasks of life and, and survive. And as artist who really has spoken out to to is Holsey, and she explains that she takes birth control for for her health because it helps um, with her to not damage her scar tissue and damage her organs. Like she has a specific um, disease that if she doesn't take birth control, she won't be able to survive. And definitely it's been a social construct that, that stigmatizes birth control. And to be honest, first of all, a woman shouldn't justify the reason why she's taking birth control. It's her business. If she wants to take it, it's her business. A woman shouldn't have to justify if they're taking it for contraception. Okay, they're taking. They're they're being safe. You know what I mean? It's been an issue that no woman shouldn't be justifying, like actually being like explaining the reasons why they're taking it. It's something that they they have either they have to take it or want to take it, and it's some like I said, it's something that for many women, it's a day to day. Um medicine that they have to take and it's ridiculous that we continue to have religion influence towards this and it's something that it should have religious aspects to it if a woman wants to take it she takes it if you don't like you can't you can't keep judging a woman for taking it and it's none of your business especially when when it comes to men to tell oh to ask a woman why they're taking it because obviously that's that's a woman's a woman's issue that they're 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 trying to they're trying to advocate for and like no man especially on the supreme court should tell a woman what to do with their body and what they they should take and that's been a frustrating thing that's been going on for years and like it's it's disgusting the fact that they that they're now allowing like corporations like employers to decide that and taking that away and for many birth can, for many women birth control is really hard to afford. It's not an easy medication, and it's some like I said, it's something that has to be covered by insurance. It's it's to many women, like I said, it's it's a necessity, and that can't continue to be questioned. So it's frustrating to really can see continuing like especially men trying to say try to think what's best for a woman, but literally there's scientific evidence out there and doctors who prescribe, doctors prescribe birth control for, for, to women, obviously. So there's a reason why they're taking it. But like I said, a woman shouldn't be, shouldn't justify why they're doing it. They should, if they haven't taken it, they take it. So the justification 
for why birth control is not can be chosen not to be covered really under these religious grounds is just old it's an old, old school mind, mindset it's like a generation thing like it's the, the supreme court like when we look at the supreme court many of the, the judges on the supreme court have that old generation mindset they're not evolving to the times that are now i mean back the, during their time birth birth control was is was a was viewed as only for contraception but now that years have gone by it continues to have that that social mindset but it's not like that anymore we have scientific evidence we're in a times that we have the technology to see to see why, what the benefits are for birth control and like i said birth control has been a lifesaver for many women who experience different types of and they need birth control in order to survive so what are so because most of these people who argue against uh, contraceptives are you use a religious base what is what is really the religious argument to why birth control is seen as not not a good idea like the for it's just ridiculous because like as as for myself has gone to catholic school for a long period of time uh, like I've, I've been learning since like day 1 they've well, they've learned, especially within Catholicism, they've taught us that that birth control would take you to hell. That was basically it. That it was like a thing that Jesus didn't want you to take. That's what they told me in school. And hearing that, hear, hearing that from like a little kid, like middle school, when you would be taught, quote unquote, sex ed, I guess, what they were trying to do. Um, they, it's just ridiculous because it's something that you, why you in in like influencing that mindset to a young child especially a a young girl like it's ridiculous that especially like catholicism continues to stigmatize that and it's like not everyone is catholic like your catholicism beliefs keep that to yourself because catholicism should not play in part into health like it's it's like or, or any form of religion in your opinion huh any form of religion any form of religion, but especially Catholicism has been like a strong voice towards this. And that's why I'm attacking them because I've been as a Catholic myself. But obviously I do not believe to what Catholics believe when it comes to this issue and many issues. We're not going to touch that. We're talking about birth control. But um, yeah, it's definitely any religion doesn't, shouldn't be influencing or being involved in, in the issue in health issues like this. Like, this is a woman's health issue that, like I said, it's religion should not be a part of it. And it's ridiculous that we keep coming up to this issue. And it's just that religious organizations, I don't know what they really gain from it, to be honest. Speaking from it, they, they gain, I don't, they just gain the fact that they're, that religion is superior. But that's, the religion is a, is a complex it's a complex thing, to be honest. But they should, like, however, when it comes to political stuff like this, especially towards women's health care, they should not play against it. I mean, the people that run religious organizations are men, for the most part. And they should definitely not be at all <laughs> being saying and, advo- and advocating against it. Like, you know, like, it's ridiculous. Like, they don't know what a woman goes through. They don't. 
this I find this kind of similar to this, even though they're not this they're not the same thing, but I feel like they kind of correlate in some way. Is like when some states made it have made it illegal for um for women to get abortions in mm-hmm. only after the the six week period. Mm-hmm. With, but when a woman barely would find out if she is pregnant or yeah, not. Yeah, that happened in the South especially. Right, in some southern some southern states, yes, especially. Mm-hmm. But the idea that oh once once they're there's life formed in the woman at, at six weeks. Like it's illegal to get an abortion, but scientifically it takes about six to eight weeks for a woman to know mm-hmm. if she is pregnant. So, pre- so pretty much you, that's almost taking, that's some rights taken away from, let alone that a woman can't get an abortion anymore, which whatever, whatever another a person's belief, beliefs are, are about that. But the idea that she has, she doesn't even have the time to decide when it's when it's legal, and now it's made illegal for in this after a certain amount of time. But scientifically, that does not correlate. This also feels hand in hand with. It definitely is hand in hand because it's an issue when it comes to abortion. They also talk about contraceptives and talk about birth control as well. And it's definitely when that came, that news was definitely um, on the headline during that time. It was it's ridiculous because a woman. A woman's body's different. It is. How they react, how a woman's, like a woman's body is different in a way that we don't, we're not sure how we react to things. Like some, like I said, some women have bad periods. Some women go through different types of abnormal things in their body. Like it develops differently for each woman's body. And definitely when it came to that issue, it's like I said, it's, it ta- scientific evidence was proven, but the fact that religion the the religion was trying to pull apart by saying like their their beliefs and everything like there's science that proves it and you can you can have those beliefs to yourself but you shouldn't there are many we live in a country where we have diverse opinions and we're entitled to our we are entitled to have to believe in our religion but that shouldn't at all be manipulating other people's decisions this is why we we as a nation brag that we're a nation that's diverse and has a freedom of religion. Okay. Freedom of religion. Okay. You can have those beliefs to yourself. You are free to believe in whatever you believe, but that shouldn't, you are not allowed to influence my mind and my decision. And since we're bringing that up, I wanted to like, I saw this meme on Instagram a couple, like the last couple of days. And it was interesting to see how they had a mask and it said, my body, my choice, and I had a picture of um, of a woman, and it said, um, "My body, but your choice." Like that's a meme that, like to me, was powerful because how people are so, especially during these times, so not wanting to, refusing to wear a mask because they're like, "Oh, that's my liberty. Like I don't have to wear a mask." But when it comes to a woman's rights issue, especially towards contraception and abortion it's like it's my body but you but the government and you get to, and le- leaders get to decide what i do with it a lot of nitpicking it's like you can't you can't continue to nitpick and like decide when you want to um say things like it's for a woman it's her body her choice to decide what she wants to do and the government can't continue to have that mindset of having religion influence that like you are 
entitled to your own beliefs of religion, but that shouldn't play in part in how we operate as society. Like, religion is more of a, like, personal and spiritual value that each person has different, has entitled to have that different, like, spiritual mindset, and you're entitled to that. But that should not all be in place to what, how we operate society. All right, well, you know, you bring up some very good, good, good points about the contradictions and mm-hmm. really the health. It's, yeah. it's, not even, it's not even a religious case. It's more, it's just a, it's more of a health case yeah, than and, it is religious morality. In it. Yeah, it's definitely something that should not be, it's basic health rights that should be, continue to be funded continue to be not stigmatized it's something that it's health it's there's health evidence and women need it for their health i mean there's like this is just one issue that for women that we continue to have that issue but yeah it definitely needs to stop having religious influence and religious um organizations stigmatizing it all right well that Thank you, Jackie, for for educating the people about basic women women's health. Yeah. But now we've got to move on to the next subject of that we're of the week of the news, and uh, you know, ICE made the news this week. Yes. So Another... ICE, uh, ICE, ICE, and uh, and and immigrants. You know, they, ICE just seems to always miss the mark. So, Jackie, please, uh, I'm I'm not gonna speak anymore about this issue because I know you're. You're ready to just fire away? So, Jack, please, take it away. Well, ICE really to the, the, you another reason why we should abolish it. So, for those who are not, have been, I don't, you guys should, be, should, be, should know what's going on in the news today, but if you didn't, ICE, on June, July, sorry, July 6, 2020, ICE announced that there were going to be some changes to students and ex- the student and exchange visitor program, which endangers non-immigrant F1 and M1 students at schools operating entirely online due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. So, meaning that ICE this week announced that if an international student is taking online classes this fall semester, all, if their classes are all online, they will be deported back to their homeland country. They, ICE decided that. And for many, for many students, like during these times, during the upcoming semester, many students, univer- universities are having that online instruction. And this impacts international students, especially because many of them have or weren't able to, to return to their home countries when the pandemic started because their countries closed their borders and they were going, they're going through the, they were going through the pandemic and can still continue, continue to go through the pandemic. So this issue definitely is disgusting and dehumanizing. ICE has its reputation to be dehumanizing and have and continuing to systemically oppress immigrants. International students should not should not be having make the decision of their especially in regards to their education. Like they're they're totally stuck. Like for many of them, like I said, they can't go back to their homeland countries because, for example, the European Union has banned Americans to travel to their countries right now. 
because they know that in, in the United States, their pandemic, the pandemic here, it's starting, it's rising up. It's not getting better. And for many students, they can't leave. They can't leave the United States. And so, like I said, some of them are still here in the United States trying to figure out what's going to happen next semester. And ICE doing this just continue, this gives that stress and anxiety for many international students. And that is totally unfair. Like if a student shouldn't, international students are students trying to seek their education. They came to the United States because they knew that this was the land of opportunities to really further their education because they know back in their homeland countries, they're not able to have that same opportunities. And these are leaders that definitely benefit a lot from our society and they're a huge contribution to our society. So the fact that ICE announced this is horrifying. And it's just disgusting that that they're doing this to they continue to do this this stigma system, systemic oppression towards immigrants and as many of you know like we have they they've they continue to traumatize immigrants that come to this country and it's it's ridiculous to me that they announced this especially during a time where schools the semester is going to start and many international students are just lost of what they're going to do because many of them are going to either lose scholarships or or they're they don't have housing right now secure housing to really continue their education so this is definitely um an issue that is it's heartbreaking because i mean it's it's so stupid that ice really announced this and um in order for them to really remain in the United States, they have to really have a they have to have a they have to have a class that's in person. So for many uh, I've seen in the news, like schools like NYU and Columbia have decided to make an independent study for international students, so so they can have an in class one in class class, so that way they don't have a risk of getting deported. But yeah, this is definitely something that international students are stressing out right now, and it's our job as our, with our privilege that we're here to, as, a, as American student ourselves, for many of us, we have that privilege to advocate for international students and help them. So to really help international students, it's important to sign those petitions, contact the university to really ask what they're doing to help the international students. And if you have an in-person class right now, switch to an online class. Many of us are right now want to go back to campus but many of us do not real, do not do not have the need and necessity to go back to campus. I know it sucks, but if you have one if you have one class that's in person, switch out of that class and take an online class. Cause there's students out there, international students, who need in person classes in order to stay in the United States to continue their education. So don't be selfish and just go an online class. Do an online class. Like I understand that for many, it's like I don't want to be home. Well, for many of us, like for me, example, I'm going to be home this semester because my classes are online. So I'm going to have to be home in Maryland studying. Like for, it's not something ideal that many college students want. But if you really want to help international students, sign petitions. Like I said, online class, take all your classes online because you have the stability to take your classes home, do so. Like it's something that, you need to be conscious of and definitely seeking seeking out and reaching out to those international students like that you know 
Because, I mean, they're they're frightened, they're frightened right now, having that anxiety and just don't know what to do next. So definitely be there for them. And definitely contact your school and tell them what they're going to what they're gonna do. Because right now, St. John's University has not said a statement out really about what's going, what, about what, about what ICE has announced. So it's really horrifying the fact that, especially a Catholic university hasn't said anything on this aspect. So you might really want to pressure institutions, college institutions to do something about it. Because international students should not be stressing about this. And yes, Statistically, international students do provide a lot of economic revenue for universities, but that should not, they should not be, be viewed as a profit. They're students, just like us, many of us. They're students trying to seek an education and become successful in their lives. So don't look at it from an economic perspective. Look at it as like literally they're students who deserve the same rights as any other student. So yeah, that's what ICE is doing. And considering just not that long ago, the Supreme Court said the dreamers can stay. Yeah, and it's and especially like it's interesting to see like like another thing I want to point out is especially for many of us, for some of us who had the privilege to go abroad, and people that are quiet, especially like in that aspect, like the fact that we had like for me like my sophomore year, I had the privilege to go abroad and study for four months in Italy, and did not and was able to enjoy my time there and you're basically an international student there and the fact that many students are not advocating for international students right now it's like hypocritical because first off you were many students were ro- were roaming around <laughs> roaming around the country <laughs> and like literally like enjoying their life like not stressing out as much and it's just really hypocritical to me that some students who have gone abroad don't see that like, this is our time to really voice our, to defend and protect international students. Because, I mean, their country was welcoming us, even though those countries don't really like Americans. But they, but they accepted us there. And the fact that we're not doing the same of protecting them and advocating for them is definitely hypocritical. And people need to realize that. So anyone who has gone abroad and you haven't said anything to fight for international students' rights to be here, then you might want to reflect and check yourself. Yep, could that's, couldn't have said it any better about fighting for the students who go to these to these schools over here in the U.S. Not, they're, not, they're not visiting, you know, just studying. No, yeah, not just not. studying abroad for like a semester. No, these are students of the school. Exactly, and they, they work so hard to get where they are right now because it's not easy. There are many, they move across the globe to attend universities here. And it's not easy. They literally come alone. For many of them, they come alone. Their family stays in their home countries. And so it's important that they really sacrifice a lot and work so hard to stay here and to really study here. And it's ridiculous, like I said, like universities and students and just the whole university communities need to realize that these students work so hard to get where they are today and they deserve that protection and that support from every single one of us. And for those people who think, Oh, it's well, they're just going to go back to their home country. But remember, it's not a same day process. They don't, if these students get deported or get held by ice and get deported, it's not, they get taken by ice and then they get sent to the airport just an hour later. No, no, no. They will be detained 
in these detention centers. It's not where, it's, with people with the with the horror stories that we've heard about these poor children and families at the being separated from the detention detention centers at the border by ICE. More than likely, the students might be ending up in very similar places. Basically, yes, they have exactly. to fear for their human rights if if it's if they have to be sent. If it's true that it's mandatory that they be sent home because of online classes. It's and almost it's, as if it's true. It's, it, it's almost as if it's their fault that a pandemic happened, so, and that we have to make sure that their human rights are not taken away. It's it's ridiculous that ICE continues to, like I said, continues to do stuff like this. And I want people to recognize that you, if this issue, like I've seen a lot of people on social media take interest in ICE now. But when it comes to this issue, but you need to, people need to recognize that ICE has done so many dehumanizing things within immigration. So if you took the time now to really recognize what ICE is doing, good. Continue to be mad because this institution of ICE needs to be abolished. You need to do your research and really understand what ICE has been doing for many years. And this issue, like, it's important that we need to continue advocating for international students to stay in the U.S. to pursue their education, but also inform yourself and do your research of what ICE has been doing to immigrants in this country and continues to do. So this is definitely, if this was your wake-up call to really focus on abolishing ICE, can really do your research and continue to advocate. Like this, it really takes, like it's disappointing that we, it takes for a really big issue to really advocate for things like you this is a wake-up call for if this is a wake-up call for many of you then you really need to reflect and really continue to educate yourself because this is not something that's like should be it's it's shocking in the way that they're attacking international students but we shouldn't be surprised that it's a, should be shocked in a way because this is an institution that continues to to do cruel things so really reflect and wake up with that being said, and uh, concluding our segment of ICE, we move on to the next subject and probably probably the last subject, the last major headline of the news of the week, COVID cases. Oh, very COVID-19. You know... They still exist, y'all. <laughs> just not that, not that long ago, we, you know, we were, we were flattening the curve and cases were going down. But then a lot of governors, just because saw some and mayors, mayors and senators, governors, when they saw success mm-hmm. on flattening the curve, and holidays were coming up, and you know summer is here. Apparently, thought it was a good idea just open up the states completely or open up huge cities completely. Mm-hmm. It's really worked out very well because this week we've had we've added um, at least fifty five thousand new cases of COVID nineteen. To the country, um, since I'm a resident in California, um, we've seen at least seven thousand new cases um, this week. Only a few days ago, so we don't know how many in total we're gonna accumulate by the end of the week. Oh, um, okay. You know, Florida's seen a lot of in- increases in the last couple of weeks. Actually, mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of these, a lot of states actually have seen a, an increase in COVID cases since Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, and. Texas has been hit with uh, 10,000 new cases. And overall, the country has... Um, 
I'm sorry. Yes. So the country, yes, has added 55,000 new cases, but 135,000 deaths due to COVID. And yes, that just, that's a small fraction of the population. Yes, but it keeps increasing. And almost every other country that took it seriously, they're decreasing. Like people, like when you say, when, when, mayors and governors and doctors like keep saying wear a mask that's not because they want to control your life it's because how about you just stay alive how about we just we maximize the chances for you to stay alive so you know you've seen the increase in covid cases probably yes and you made it has it affected maryland yes how like our, how is it affecting Maryland? Like our governor at first was was sort of okay controlling this. Like at fr- like he at first was really trying to follow the protocols of like New York of really trying to slowly gradually do things. But at some point he gave in to really what Trump really wanted to op- to reopen the economy and so on and so forth. So at like at first it was interesting to see at the in the news like every single day see like oh this is the amount of COVID-19 cases we we um like have tested positive but as we've gotten to a point now like in the news like they don't tell us anymore so like when you go online you're just like oh wow it's they, they don't say anything anymore so it's like here in Maryland everyone kind of is sort of thinking um they have the mentality it's like oh I'm gonna if I'm gonna get it, I'm gonna get it oh well but it's not at all the mentality you should have in Maryland, it's been impacting communities, minority communities and communities of, of color. It's, it's been impacting a lot. Um, so far, we've been sort of been able to flatten the curve. I mean, there's some days where we have like a lot of cases, some, some days we just have a few. But like I said, like at this point, media or media news outlets haven't really been saying much, really. They kind of just want to tell the people like, oh, we're, we're controlling it. It's not as bad as it seems, but it's bad. Um, like I said, like the governor just gave in really to what Trump was saying and and also the mayor of DC as well. I mean, like, um she's, they those leaders these leaders came up like gave in to what Trump was saying and had kinda were forced to because I mean Maryland's right a neighbor to DC, so it's something that um Maryland's kind of dealing with and like I said, it's we're really unsure how bad things are because like I said, media doesn't tell us anymore. They, only, they really just focus on, like, the the huge states like California, Florida. They talk about those states, but don't really talk about what's going on in Maryland. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been an interesting road for Maryland, and, and, it's, and it's continued impact. Like, um, I would definitely say, though, like, Maryland as a whole, like, Governor um, Larry Hogan kind of just gave in. But, like, within Montgomery County, like, local, like, just, like, county-wise, um, Montgomery County leaders have been – have been more have been like slow opening things up like um when maryland was going through phase two montgomery county said no we're not going through phase two so it's been interesting to see how the counties like prince george's county and montgomery county not uh, not enforcing the phases of reopening like the governor said so it's been interesting to see how locally officials are more conscious and really focusing on the science and the facts of it you know um it's that like it just it like i said in maryland it's it's definitely going to be something like a like a roller coaster really like along with many other states and 
they're really trying to not um make it like an epicenter but like i said i think by now we have like about like seventy thousand cases in maryland and we're a pretty small state so that's kind of quite alarming (laughs) um but yeah it's like i said it's maryland it's it's something like it's it um they they continue they have there's been testing sites that have been um established for people that can get free testing and um, it's good that we have we're we know where to get tested, which is good. Um, so they've been able to really reinforce that. But to me, it's now the talk is about schools, especially um, reopening. Like Prince George's County has been telling teachers to come to school, and they're trying to give like a sort of like a orientation to what could happen if we if schools need to be reopened. And Montgomery County is going through that same thing, contacting teachers and kind of asking school administrators to like do like a like a orientation to what could be the new normal in classrooms. But like I said, it's um it's a very to me opening schools, especially within like where I live, it's going to be very difficult because I mean, realistically speaking, opening schools is just going to continue the systemic oppression because when you really think about it, like. Schools and communities of color are not going to be able to have that resources that are proper resources to really have the sanitation in those schools. So to me, it's been it's been it's going to be like to me, I hope Maryland doesn't doesn't decide to open schools because it's definitely going to be an issue and things are going to rise. It's going to spike up again and it's going to everything's going to close again. and It's like a cycle that's going to keep on going. But. Yeah, they like states need to like especially Maryland need to recognize that it's it's important to re- reopen the economy and get things working, but there's still things that are unsettling and we don't really have the answers to. It's like this is an experiment that everyone's in to see what happens, and it can't be like that. Yeah, and the last week um, it was you know, Fourth of July weekend, and mm-hmm. you know, everybody you know enjoy the beach, you know enjoy the sun, we'll go out, hang out, go to parties, and hang hang out and barbecue but um california we had to shut down the beaches for fourth of july weekend and that was smart know, unlike us we didn't do it, that it was <laughs> it was smart but just the idea that you know a lot of so many people like anywhere like where people like, can go for the beaches but the idea that like this is like it's real guys like you the the normal thing that you do in the summer have fun at the beach you know just enjoy the waters and do whatever that's that was that was by the governor said no, that that's, will not happen. That's good because here, like in Maryland, they did not do that. And it's funny because, like, like on they try to they try to blame like other factors to why we like things are spiking up again, like the protests. But in DC, there were a lot of protests, and the in fact, in the infections that have of coronavirus that have been tested positive have no correlation to the protests. And the correlation to Memorial Day, correlation to Fourth of July. Because people, literally the the DMV, like when it came Fourth of July, it was kind of like solo town here. Like not many people were here because everyone decided to go to Delaware, go to wherever the beaches are. And now they're starting to come back and realizing that they're starting to get sick. And it, like to it's like to me, it's been interesting to see how people say it was like the protests, but it's like the protests are still some for some places they're still continuing, but the majority of them were like about a month ago. So, and supposedly how coronavirus works, you start to show symptoms within two weeks. So, like, 
these are not at all a correlation to what the protests have been happening. It's been correlation to people's stupidity of thinking that everything's fine and doing going as life is normal without yeah. wearing a mask. They're, yeah, it's funny because a lot of people organizing the protests mm-hmm. actually they always tell the protesters make sure socially distance. You bring your masks. You bring you masks bring things to have been and mandatory for many rallies, protests, on so forth. So it's definitely something that people have been like, honestly, the activities that other like people have been doing have been careless, like stupid activities, like going to parties, like literally like being careless about things. Like it's definitely like it's I'm not surprised, especially within Florida and like California, too. Like it's 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 like a place where like people like think that like they're like it's like touristic places like like, you know what I mean? Like it's definitely not shocking that people are being affected because they're literally pretending like nothing happened and things are opening like nothing like there's nothing exists and it's it's definitely like people just like they're careless actions like it's there's still a pandemic going on so i don't get why you're still things are not fully open like they're going through phases with restrictions so it's not so it's not a free-for-all you know it's it's been frustrating to see in the news like it's especially like it's been funny to see how florida Residents have have been going to court and saying why they don't wear the mask. I'm just it's just funny to me when I see those videos. It's like really you don't want to you don't want to put like a little like a little like, cloth over your face. Like it's not gonna kill you. It's gonna kill if you don't wear it, but it's not gonna kill you for wearing it. Well, the the, the one the one thing about COVID I want to I kind of find interesting. So Las Vegas is opened up again, but. Ironically, we have there's not news about all oh, outbreak of COVID cases in Nevada and especially in Las Vegas. People usually take weekend trips to Vegas, mm-hmm. so I wonder, you know, people flying in or driving into Vegas and then having returning to their home states. I wonder how many how many of these people who you know don't really socially distance anymore in Vegas. I want I'm kind of curious to know how many of these people contribute to the cases back in their home states? I definitely, it's, it's like something that I think it's definitely outsiders coming to like these states and vacationing for like a weekend or like a week and then like bringing back to the home states. Like it's, it's like, I, I'm, it's definitely has to be contributing to why people, why so many states are having a spike in their coronavirus cases because i mean it's because of that because people are getting out of the state because i mean like oh we find the curve so like i'm gonna go party here or go here vacation here and then they bring it back here without realizing it like it, the COVID 19 is definitely something that we we aren't sure that we aren't sure about because we don't know many of us could be like a transmitter for it and we don't know about it that's the scary thing like we recently Atlanta's um, mayor was tested positive and she so, she showed no symptoms of COVID-19 and she got tested and she got tested positive and like it's definitely something people need to realize this is this is science like literally legislators and like political leaders have been tested positive without showing any symptoms so the fact so so have secret service members yeah exactly like it's it's ridiculous like how People are just so like naive and don't believe in it, but it's like you could be showing those symptoms and have it. Oh, and dictators. I mean presidents of different Southern American countries. 
Yeah, and it's it's yeah, and also it's been frustrating to see how like especially with an art generation like college kids and teens like being really the ones affected. Even though at first they were just like, nah, it doesn't affect our age. But the ones now that are getting infected are like most of the cases are within our age range, and it's like stupid because it's like really like <laughs> you did this to yourself. You did this to yourself, and I have I'm not sorry for you. Like I feel sorry for your family that has to deal with this. And, like, for many, like, I understand, like, that's just one aspect of the people getting infected. But there's people that, like, for example, people that are essential workers. They're, they really are risking their lives and really working on the front line. Either, like, by essential workers, like, as well as healthcare workers. Like, you need, people need to be conscious of these workers because they're, they're, they have no choice but to go out there. And, like, the decency, the least you could do for decency is to wear a mask. Like, that's the least you could do. And, like, it's it's devastating to continue to see, like, essential workers and healthcare workers dying and getting sick of this. Because they have no choice but to do, to work, because they need to work to survive. That's their job. And they did not sign up for this. They did not sign up for this pandemic, because no one thought it would, it would escalate to, to this seriousness. But, like I said, they're going through this, and... Like, it just frustrated me and, like, gets me so angry when people don't wear a mask. Because it's just, like, you have no idea what those people are going through and what challenges that they go through. Especially, like, day to day. Like, they can't really be close to their family members. They have to be really cautious. Because they, 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 they cannot get their family sick. And this, to me, like, it's been, um, with my family especially, it's been frustrating to see, like, my mom's a... A housekeeper so she works with fam with um affluent families around the area in bethesda and it's been frustrating to see how they especially during fourth of july weekend many of them went out the state so some they went to pennsylvania they went to georgia some of them and they went to places where the coronavirus is spike is, is spiking up and to me it was frustrating to hear that my mom and my mom was worried because when they were coming back like they came back and she had to work the next on Monday that she was, she was scared. Cause I mean, they went to places that were the coronavirus were sp spiking. And it's like, to me, it was, I like made me so frustrated, but I really had to calm myself down because I was like, my mom has to work and yelling at them was not, is not going to be really effective. Cause I mean, my mom has no other choice, but to work for them. Cause that's the reality of it. Cause that's her job and there's no other jobs available. But inside of me, I felt so frustrated because when they asked my mom, like, what we did for 4th of July, and for 4th of July, for my family, hasn't been a holiday we celebrate. It was, it's been more of, like, a holiday where my parents um, luckily are off because their bosses say so. And so we, it's mostly a time for us to we – usually, we usually would go to the beach, but mostly as a family because, like I said, this was the weekend that, that they were off. Both of them were off. So traditionally, we would go to the beach – as a tradition because like I said my parents were off that was the only weekend in the summer they were off so it was really a time for us to take advantage of spending time with family so we didn't do that this year because of coronavirus but like it was frustrating to hear when they asked my mother like what they she did for for the July they, she was just like oh we just stayed home because there was nothing else we could do like literally there was nothing else we didn't want to risk that and they were continuing saying like oh like why didn't you like go see like hang out with a friend or anything like 
it's not a big deal like it's there's nothing like when we like especially when my mom said that the beach that we normally go to that they were going to close the bars and stuff one of her bosses said oh like that's propaganda like nothing's happening like it's not a big deal and like when my mom was telling me that I got so frustrated because especially with some families like that like refusing to not recognize it like it's frustrating because they don't realize that if they get sick they impact they could get my mom sick and it's like frustrating because like I they have the privilege to get health care and to basically be able to treat themselves but my family's not doesn't have that privilege to do so and people need to be conscious of that like it's ridiculous to see how essential workers are being treated awfully and have to face the consequences because people around them or who they work for are not being conscious or having sanit or being cautious of their sanitation like that's what people need to realize like it's ridiculous and like if you're not going outside with a mask like you really like i can't like it just seems to amaze me like every day people refusing to see this like we have doctors who are literally and nurses who have literally died and left their family behind like i don't understand why is that hard to reflect like you have no moral understanding or more of values like like it just frustrates me how people continue to be not cautious about it like it's not not that hard to wear a mask and be cautious about it but yeah 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 honestly people just are just terrible wear a, wear a mask be safe honestly it Living is not that hard things, like it's not it is hard. Not, it is not that hard to just not try to get not try to do much to to basically basically just try your best to avoid germs really is yeah, what we're that's all we're saying. Like, wash your hands. Don't be disgusting. All right. Well, that concludes all our news topics of the week and even some of it of last week. Yeah. So we've reached the point of final random thoughts. So this time, Jackie, if you if it's okay, I'm going to go first because... Go ahead. I talked a lot. I went through, like, my whole vlog. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. I mean, like, I'll, let you, I'll, get, I'll let you get your win back, you know. Oh, so... So I have, uh, I finally remembered what my final random thought was because I remember I was thinking about this the entire week and I wanted to just mm-hmm. get it. Like, so, so it's not really a random thought. It's a very well thought out thought. So mm-hmm. so we talked about Vanessa Guillen mm-hmm. earlier in the, today in this episode. And it, made, it just made me think because there's a lot, uh, as a, a Latinx community, I'm proud that we are fighting for justice for mm-hmm. her. I'm I'm very happy about that. But there's still like a part of it that's very interesting to see that conservative media and conservatives mm-hmm. who who say there's they love the military mm-hmm. have not re- just report the basic details of this case. Move yeah. on. Yeah. Literally like, like tidbits of it. They give tidbits. Yeah. Like the- yeah, so what's very frustrating is that Vanessa Guillen was a soldier. Mm-hmm. She was a soldier. She fought for this country. She signed up to fight for this country. And the fact that there's not outrage that she didn't die overseas in a battle. She didn't die fighting in a war. She died at home. She died at home. Went missing. She died on her base, basically, and then went missing. Mm-hmm. 
And then the, we find out that the commanding officers of the base were, weren't going to really do anything until the whole world found out that something happened to her. Like The fact that it had to take thousands, maybe millions of people to be upset that the military was just going to ignore something that something awful that happened to one of their own like where's the outrage about that from these con- conservative conservative people who the reason why they hate hated Colin Kaepernick and the black lives matter movement is because when they took a knee was because oh well it's disrespecting the military how about a military member of the military losing her life on a military base and nothing to be done about it for a while and how is that not disrespect to the military? Not, not really the, the institution of the military, just the members who serve the military. That's what the outrage was about. The argument was always, what about those people who serve this country? Well, she served the country. That's what she signed up to do. And yet she still died and no one cared. But here's another thing that also happened when we found out be, when we, before we took you know, a, little, a little break for, from last week. We found out that the administration had information of U.S. soldiers that were basically bountied off, that the, Russian, that the Russian government was paying Taliban members to kill off U.S. soldiers. And there was, there's, there's some type of explanation or excuse to like explain it away of how the administration, like, oh, well, this either the president knew about it or didn't know about it, even though it's something that he should know about. Like, like guys, like you, you're making way. There are more excuses about soldiers being killed by enemies than there are about outrage that, like, these soldiers were killed off for like almost like sports. So basically, I'm, I'm trying to tell you conservatives out, conservatives out there, I'll give you the option of what to be mad about first. A soldier, a member of the military being killed on U.S. soil, on a U.S. base, and there, nothing to be done for a while, almost like her, almost like her life didn't matter. She didn't matter. At first, until the whole world had to tell the U.S., hey, a human being died and she was wearing one of your uniforms. Care. Or I'll let you or you can be mad about U.S. soldiers being killed off by enemies and being paid for it. Incentives. I'll give you the option of what to be mad about first when it comes to the military, because you guys have for years have been defending using the military as a defense of why not to protest injustices in this country. So now when it comes to the military and injustice, I'll let you guys choose what you want to be mad about first. But the fact that you guys don't seem to care that much, don't, use the, don't ever say how much you care about the military when, you, when you're not putting a lot of heart into these issues. That's what I had to say. Definitely, that's that's a huge issue. That and like you said, it was perfectly said because it's definitely 
Like, with conservatives, they take so much patriotism when it comes to the military. That's basically their 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 platform, which they they take pride and, in. And it's definitely and, something to really think about, like, what you said. Like, you, those, those are the, like, yeah, like, you, like, it's ridiculous. Like, it's. It's a talking point. It's really and a talking point, yeah. And now that it is the issue, mm-hmm. I don't hear any talking. And uh, I mean, also, I guess I also want to point out the reason it, this upset me. Not it hit me a little more personal than I. I never, really, I haven't really shared why, but I mean, I'm pretty sure like my mom and I have talked about this, or just briefly. But my cousin, my young, my my younger cousin, uh, became a marine last year. Like he did his training, and now he's he's in he's in he's on base and near San Diego. And, you know, it, it, it was his dream for, to be a Marine. And he comes from a home where both his parents served. But I just thought, man, like, I'm not, I don't fear for his life because I, just because I have, I have faith in him, I guess. I don't know, like, he, he, the, the fact that he's very calm about his, his life and entering service that calms me to not have to worry about him if he ever has to be deployed. But the fact that when we, I find out that, you know, soldiers were killed, no, the, the government didn't, the, the administration didn't care to do anything about it to help save those soldiers. And I thought, man, like, I don't know how, I don't know if I ever learned that. And one of those soldiers turned out to be my, Younger cousin who's like my younger brother. First group, so many we've had so many fun memories together. Like where honestly, I could feel like he is my younger brother. I don't know how I could sleep at night if I found out that he happened to be one of those soldiers. I just don't know how I could just even comprehend those thoughts. So yeah, it, for a split second, it made me fear for his life if he ever gets deployed. So that's, those are my thoughts. And yeah, that's, I had to really get that off my chest. Mm-hmm. Jackie, I know you, I know you got to have some final random thoughts. Well, my random thought is more focused on, um, on my high school recently. Um, it, my, some students from my um, high school was able to um, build an Instagram account as a platform to really talk about the racial injustices that can still continue within our school. And it's, it's a platform that current students and alumni were able to really um, um, speak up towards what they've been experiencing and have experienced in the past attending the institution. Um, I attend this the high school I attended was Our Lady of Good Council High School in Olney, Maryland, part of Montgomery County. Um, this school is a Catholic school, co-ed school. Um, I attended um, that school from 2013 to 2017, so I'm a cl- part of the class 2017. And I saw this account and I thought it was a really good idea because, I mean, there are many institutions around that have been able to create like a Instagram account to really... Um, give a platform for students to submit stories anonymously 
and talk about because I mean this is a conversation that is really important to have because when it comes to Catholic institutions they tend to be neutral about things and as we know neutrality is going to is supporting the side of the oppressor so I definitely want to talk about within the last couple of weeks I've been seeing this account and seeing the stories that current students are facing because at first it was talking about students who are currently in the school and to me it was very hurtful to see how my my old school that high school hasn't changed much since I graduated and attended there um it's been heartbreaking because I I take pride in my high school in some things I mean my high school was a nice experience the reason why I went to this high school was because I was given that privilege for my parents to seek an education of high school and like a Catholic institution. Um, I've been in Catholic school since I was three. So so to me, going to a Catholic high school was like sort of like the next step to what the opportunities that were to come. With that being said, my high school was a predominantly white institution. There, it was considered, according to the Archdiocese of Washington, as one of the most diverse Catholic schools in Maryland and that doesn't quite say a lot because I mean going to class every day during that time was felt didn't felt didn't feel true because I was many of really the few minority students in the class in, in each class and to me like I said it was interesting to see that the stories that students are continuing to face especially students of color and um it was like I said, I got frustrated reading the stories and actually I was and I was trying to find the courage to submit my story and I finally found the courage to do so. And I felt guilty at first really trying to tell my story because um, I kind of like I said, I have the pride in me of that school because that school was able to open up opportunities for me to to see what was was to come. Like I said, the school was nice. Theoretically, I mean, I met the closest friends who I'm proud to call my friends today. It grew me to the person that I am today in a way. But really, like, analyzing things and going through college and now entering my senior year at college, like, analyzing things, it's been interesting. And um, I'm going to be sharing, like, now I'm going to share the, some instances where my school has been um, systemically of um pressing students so when during one story that definitely sticks out to me that um impacted me a lot going to that school was um so it was during my senior year of high school um the beginning of the senior year i was assigned each one of us is assigned a counselor um like a general counselor that we're assigned to our freshman year so it was basically my check-in appointment for the year to see how i was doing i never really gone to the counseling services during my years in high school because I never really found like the purpose for it. I mean like mental health back then during that time wasn't as really at, like a thing that was really talked about. So I didn't really go for any reason. I mean I had anxiety back then but I didn't know it was so but anyways I went during my senior year. We did the check-in meeting and this check-in meeting was so she could see what I'm doing, um, how I'm doing, seeing what are the plans for next year because um, it was our, my senior year, so it was time to apply for colleges. So she asked me a couple questions, like, see how I was doing, blah, blah, blah. 
and she I and she the conversation came up of well, what colleges I was applying to I had my iPad with me and I told her that I made a list of schools I was planning on applying to and she and I handed to her my list and she had my profile on her desk of like my GPA my grades the courses I took etc cetera, etc cetera. basically a whole packet of my whole profile my financial aid and stuff like that and she um was like questioning me like doing like a questionnaire like out loud of like oh um so I see your family's income it's like or I told her I'm a first generation student um so I'm not sure of what to do with this process so um this is my first time doing this college process like financial aid so I'm not really sure where to go from here and she looked at my schools I had like eight about on the list and she looked at me and was like literally looked at me and was silent for a second and she literally told me that I shouldn't that these schools were beyond my reach but she didn't she was like why are you wasting time with these schools like these schools are not at all gonna accept you for who you are because based on your profile your family's low income and you what your intent of what your budget is for college is not at all realistic for these schools to give you that. And so she was like, don't waste your time. Like just go to community college. Like it's, this is way beyond your reach. Don't do it. And to me it was alarming to hear that because as a counselor, she was supposed to, I, I, I thought she would tell me like at least like resources to look at, like websites or whatever, scholarships or whatever. But she literally told me that, don't bother applying to those schools because you won't get the scholarship that will help you with your situation. And to me, it was devastating to hear that because as a school, as my parents who sacrificed so much to really be able to afford this school and they're telling me this, because my parents sent me to these Catholic schools because they believed that they would give me the opportunity unlike other, like other schools would. Like they wanted to really take me, to give me that advantage of opportunities because they knew as, they knew from the moment they came to this country as as a minority that they that things were going to come difficult. So the hope was that ten, giving me the chance to attend these type of schools, I would have the opportunity, same opportunity as the white students in my class. And this counselor I had was white. And to her, she was like smiling about it, like kind of saying like, oh, like I kind of she literally said, like, I'm saving you the stress from this so just apply to Montgomery like Montgomery College is like the community college locally for me and I looked at her confused and startled because I was like I'm not at all like belittling community college school like community colleges but as my my hope was I literally told like I hope that I want to at least give have the chance to apply to these schools and maybe see what happens before you know considering that option but yeah that moment from that meeting definitely haunted me as my senior year went on because I my anxiety definitely spiked up because every single time I did something I would always stress out and I never told my parents about this experience because to me during that time when um, we were going through our financial struggles and questions about what college was gonna what we're gonna do about college like to me was not fair to tell my parents what was going on especially during that incident because it was to me it was I I couldn't I couldn't let that it haunted me every single day but I couldn't 
let that haunt my parents because they sacrificed so much, like I said, to give me the chance to attend that school and to tell them that school is failing me. Like it was, I didn't want to worry them the most more than they should be. So I really didn't, I, to me, it was hurtful because I, as an only child, especially like my parents are the only people that I have. So I didn't, and them not knowing at all, they didn't go to college, so they don't really know how to guide me. So I kept every day, like, stressing out about financial aid forms, college applications, my essays. And my teachers were sort of helpful with the essays. They were able to revise it, but at the same time, they weren't really focused on helping me because they, they, like, had the mentality that each student sort of had that reinforcement at home. But for me, it was difficult because since day one I've been really navigating my life through education by myself and like I said hearing that from my counselor was devastating and shattered my heart and shattered my confidence every single day but I didn't listen to her because I had the immigration like you know immigrant background mentality of that that we are here to persevere so I had that perseverance that and we're ethic to really fight for what I wanted and after all that I decided to attend St. John's University because they were nice enough to give me that scholarship so that was one incident um, that haunts that I was able to share on the platform through the Instagram page and um, it was it was really liberating to talk talk about the experience because um, I mean the school does have students who are racist but they do have administrators who are racist and belittle minority students. Like it's an issue that that doesn't get talked about that much because we're I've like we've gotten so used to not being able to speak up because I mean if we were to speak if I were to speak up on that time and go against this counselor, I wouldn't end up getting the justice that I deserved. Because during like the administrators are just tend to want to see a blind eye towards things. Um Another incident that happened during my year was during the Trump election. And um, there was a student who was a Trump supporter who actually tweeted around saying that, and the talk was that he would come into the school with his gun if Trump didn't win that election. And the administrators knew about this and teachers too, but they did not at all say anything about it. So it was the day before election night and everyone was scared of showing up tomorrow. And, and some of us were just scared to see what the results were because we didn't know the next day what was going to happen. And the fact that like the administrators did not do anything to really, really counsel us on this situation was horrifying. Like the next day when, when Trump won and this, this, this boy was, the student was so like happy came with this Trump shirt, MAGA hat, so on and so forth, and like life was like a normal school day. School day. But in reality, it wasn't for many of us because I remember telling my parents I sort of didn't want to go to school, but I didn't tell them what was happening. But it was that day, the day after that election, like our election day. I remember that school day vividly, and it was interesting to talk to that with my friends who were my who were in my um year. And it's frustrating to see how that during that time, administrators didn't care. And um, like I said, these stories, um, these two stories definitely happened during my year. And um, other stories as well that I encounter a lot of students, especially um, 
white students who were really rude and really liked to just talk bad about minority students in general. For me, um, the students were just just so like it just it just it's just horrifying to see that and like to me the students of my my class especially they were just stupid and really pro-Trump supporters and it's interesting to see how like Catholic schools just continue to be neutral about things especially when it comes to um, their Christian values trying to um, really instill that values to students for our school we follow the Zavarian brothers, which is um, a congregation. So it's like St. John's when they have the Vincentian, like brothers or something like that. So like the school definitely brags a lot about their, their Zavarian values. They like their whole brand is like, we are the Zavarian Miller trust, simplicity, humility, compassion, and zeal. Those are the five core values that the school really brags upon, upon it. But when it comes to systemic issues, they tend to be quiet about it. And to me, it's frustrating to see how Catholic institutions continue to do so. And like I said, students within my high school are still continuing to have that issue. And the school is the school wants to really influence that they're a good school. And yes, the school prepared me academically to really... Um, prepare myself for college but the experiences that many students like I like me and other minority students we've experienced things that we wish we never did because we hope that our school didn't have that because like I like the handbook and the values that it teaches us literally says that literally states that no that racism is not tolerated but when a student when a white student does something the teachers stay quiet about it and it's been frustrating to see that. And it's ridiculous to me. And like, I'm angry and like, dev- and like disappointed that it continues to be a huge issue. And Catholic schools need to realize that if you're going to pride yourself on your values and, and, and Christian values do have a really good meaning and they really teach you some like purposes, like an influence, have good influence, influence, good mindsets, but if you're you, if you're not going to stand by that like systemic issues and social injustices, then what are you doing? It's like frustrating to keep seeing that, and it just and it continues not just like in high school ed, but also like elementary, middle, school, and higher education. I mean, Catholic schools just want to nitpick what they want to advocate for, and that's that needs to stop. Yeah, I really couldn't agree with you more. And congratulations on proving your guidance counselor wrong. The funny thing was, actually, was when I came back my freshman year to visit my high school, um, she asked me where I met. She was still there, and she recognized me, and she was just like, oh, hi. And I was like, oh, hi. Like, you know, like being like my with my manners, I said hi. And she told me where I ended up, and she was just like so surprised. And she was just like, oh, I never thought that that school would give money like that and I was like yeah they did (laughs) and I like to me like facing her was like nerve-wracking to be honest but it felt like a relief to tell her like well look look what happened so yeah 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 good good yeah way to way to show her honestly yeah and I hope she's not there anymore but I'm not sure of that yet but yeah it's like it's important for minority students to really 
if your school has that platform to really use it and really it's it's sharing my story was very liberating because to me it kind of continued to haunt me to this day because it's something that it doesn't erase your mind really it's something that kind of yep. questions your ability to do every single thing that you decide to do so it was nice to really share my story on that platform and and even though it was anonymously, a lot of people reached out to me because they were just like, I knew this was you from the first paragraph. Like, and, I was like, <laughs> and I was like, dang it. <laughs> Especially so some, some teachers, too. Yeah, some teachers, like, um, reached out to me, too. And they were just like, this is you. And I was like, dang it. And they're like, I knew it was you because you said New York at the end. And I was like, I might as well just put in St. John's to really, like, not to narrow, narrow things down, really, to be honest. But like I said, um, it's important for people to really speak out and especially as an alumni, like it, like you definitely want to speak out. Cause I mean, you wouldn't want this to happen to other students as well. So that's really my random thought of today. All right. Well, I guess that means that we conclude the show now. Yeah. Like, like, wow, we, we really had a lot to say today, mm-hmm. but then again, you know, we, we missed last week, so it's only right that we make up to our, our audience with, with a, a show that's a little extra long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Jackie, I thank you for, for having this, this long conversation with me. Yeah, we had a lot to talk about. Yes, we did. Oh, also, we should say that we have a su- surprise coming up for our listeners soon. We'll, we'll, we'll probably be dropping two episodes next week but we're, but we're going to keep that we're going to keep that extra episode of surprise so but just just be ready for that um this is like a random like sort of last room thought but i kind of want to share with the with the with our listeners um i decided to audition for the voice next week through a virtual oh. um, call so audition so oh, yeah yeah, round of applause. Woo! So I decided to do that. Um, it was an impulsive decision. Um, I was really questioning myself about it, but my audition is next week on Friday. But we'll still be doing the show, so don't worry about it, um, people. So we're not. We're gonna have a show for you next week as well. But yeah, I wanted to conclude that because I mean, I've kind of learned at this point that I really need to share things, and even though like it's things that you know that that are good, you know, it's it's a good thing. And for me, it's kind of been. It's been a struggle for me because, I mean, I'm not really open about certain things, like, especially when it comes to singing. Like, to me, it's been a journey. Like, people that know me well, like, singing to me has been, like, a like a, like a self-talent, um, like, a secretive, like, classified thing that no one really knows about. Like, I mentioned, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I sing in a choir, but, like, I'm not a good singer. That's what I usually say to people. So, definitely, um, it's something that I'm kind of nervous about next week but I, when I saw the ritual open a call I was just like I don't know if I should do it but I'm gonna do it I signed myself up so there's no backing out all right yeah <laughs> yeah let's let's go who knows maybe you'll you'll get picked up go to the next round and eventually you know you're you're gonna get a chair turned from John Legend hopefully but yeah I just want to share that to the to the listeners um I really don't know what song I'm gonna sing yet it's bet- I really want to sing Speechless by like um it's an Aladdin live action movie, if you've seen Aladdin. Um, so I kind of want to sing that song, but I don't know. There's a lot of songs that I have on my playlist, but I want to share that with people. You know, it's a, it's a good personal, um, 
thing that I'm doing. Um, so hopefully things work out and I don't chicken out. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Just breathe in and out and let the notes out. But yeah, definitely it was something um, I wanted to share because I mean, this week has been, the last couple of weeks have been a lot of reflecting and a lot of things going on. So um, I think that's some people deserve to hear something good that's happening. So yeah. Well, I, now I think we've finally reached the final conclusion of the show. Yeah. All right. So again, Jackie, thanks for having a long conversation with me. We had to make it extra long again. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So, thank. So, I want to thank everybody who listens to the show. We'll be back next week for another. Next week for two episodes mm-hmm. of of Cafe Con Leche Time. So you know, stick. Now be ready for those. Man. They're gonna be. They're probably gonna be good ones, more likely. Yeah, but thank you everyone for listening. Right, and now, goodbye, everybody. Best, mi gente. <laughs>